change my microphones. So if you're if you've never been here before, Tim and Linda, not that I ever point people out, uh, we have been doing like a little mini course in prophecy to make sure that we're all kind of on the same page with things that we know about basics in prophecy. And last week, we looked at the rebirth of the state of Israel, or, or Israel itself. And today, I want to talk primarily about the church, and I'm going to give you my thesis and show why I believe that the church will not be here during the tribulation. Okay, well, we're going to talk about that. I'll give you five points. They're all in your bulletin. Sorry, I'm a little bit out of breath. COVID a year and a half ago left me where <clears throat> I struggle sometimes to breathe, and when I'm singing and preaching, it gets to be a little bit for me. That's why sometimes you'll just see me drop out. But anyway, uh, I'm glad that everyone's here today. Uh, today, looking again at the big picture, last week we looked at Israel being formed, okay? And we talked about that, and I'm going to briefly go over some of that here in a minute. On Wednesday night, we did not do prophecy. We looked at the life of Patrick, how he was a church planner, and then we looked at how he used the Word of God to validate and to lead him in his ministry. We looked at uh, different things that were in that, different verses. This is another look here. If you'll look at this part, the next graphic is just this end part, which is the tribulation, which I will talk about next Sunday, and which Dr. House will talk about on Wednesday. This is a chance for some of you to come hear Dr. House. Uh, Dr. House is a writer. He's done over 40 books. One of his books is called Biblical Prophecy. Uh, it's charts and things, and I lean on him and talk to him, and he's a teacher to me, and I appreciate him. So in, so next week will be the tribulation. Now, the tribulation will be this part right here, the seven years, and I'll show you the verses next week. And Dr. House is going to kind of give us an overview of the tribulation, and then I'm going to give you kind of my thoughts and things maybe that I see that he didn't, or I'll repeat what he said on Sunday for those who can't make it. But this is looking at this all with Israel birth, where Israel's birth, where we were last week, Christ's advent, that's when he comes. You know, we, we celebrate Advent, remember the coming of Jesus, and we look forward to his coming in the future. And then Christ's ascension, and then what was called the church age began. Can anybody remember, I gave you a little spoiler alert last week, when did the church age begin? Someone said it in the back. Someone said Pentecost. Jimmy did. I'm glad I have deacons that know God's word. It make, makes me feel comfortable. The church age began at Pentecost, and what was Pentecost? Uh, I'm going to skip over this. We did this last week about uh, Israel being reestablished as a nation, unless y'all want to look at that now. Uh, maybe I'll do that. You can't understand biblical prophecy if you don't have an understanding of how Israel fits into biblical prophecy. Israel was given unilateral, unconditional promises by God for certain things, and those are set in stone. Well, really, they're more than stone. Stone can be destroyed. God's promises go on forever and ever. So unless you understand that Israel will play a part in all of this, that you watch Israel, you watch the Jews, you can look at God's foreign policy, and you can figure out what he's doing even among the Gentile nations, including what's happening today in Ukraine. It's kind of interesting. He made a promise. He said, I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. Uh, you shall be a blessing. I, bless, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We are all blessed through Abraham because of Jesus. 
Jesus is the offspring of Abraham. He came from Abraham's seed, so to speak. The other thing is I'm looking at this here. I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. Throughout history, as powers, uh, world countries have taken in Jews and then turned to persecute them, those countries have ended up in the dustbin of history. There is no thousand-year Third Reich, okay? But there will be a thousand-year millennium uh, in the future. Hitler is not going to be there. And so I just want to point these things out. These are these are uncompromising points that God said. And so I am glad right now that we live in a country that is supportive of the state of Israel and is protective of the Jewish people. Moses tells it was not because of Israel's greatness that they were chosen, but because of grace. He said, it wasn't because you were big. You were the tiniest among the nations. And still, if you look at Israel today, it's like, I don't know, the size of it's the size of Grimes County, the main part of the state of Israel. I'm not talking about down to the desert part. So, and I want to point this out to say that the church is not Israel, and Israel is not the church. Some reformist theologians try to tell us, well, the, Israel now is non-existent. It doesn't matter. The church has replaced Israel. That is not true. That actually has led to a lot of anti-Semitism over the centuries. I have another book that talks about that and follows it that'll be in the pastor's library. I just got this in this week. It's called When a Jew Rules the World. It's one of my favorite books. It's a wild read about how heaven will be in the millennial time. So if you want to borrow it and check it out, feel free to do that. So the church began at Pentecost. The account in Acts tells us that tongues of fire came down upon those that were present as the Holy Spirit came into the church. As we have learned, the Holy Spirit is the first deposit when we come to know the Lord. I used to say it's a down payment. It's not a down payment because we don't have to pay anything back. It's the first deposit, and then we receive our inheritances over time. You know, our, one of our final inheritances will just be to be in heaven and be with the Lord forever. Amen? So it started on that day of Pentecost, and here's the account. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I, I was, we were singing that song, I Will Worship. It was really strange because I had this burning sensation on the top of my head. I don't know if anyone saw me having a little discomfort. I don't know if my blood pressure was high or it was the Holy Spirit, but that's what the Holy Spirit was like that day. It came on them like a tongue of fire on their heads. These are charts from Dr. House that I've t taken from him, or he's actually given them to me, kind of show the history of the church. There's the ancient church, the medieval church, the Reformation, the modern church. He says, theological definition happened here. Theological darkness happened here. Theological restoration happened here. And now we are in a state of decline in the church. There are very few churches that actually preach the Word of God. And some of you have told me that you've been attracted and come here because you like the fact that we actually look at the Bible. And, uh, and we have to. The words that I say are meaningless compared to what God says. Then Dr. House outlines or splits up the ancient church further here and shows it on this other graph. And all of you will receive this this afternoon. I'm beginning now to send it out in the afternoon, Mike, instead of in the morning. 
so you won't get to read it in the morning, but that way you can get the podcast uh, link site with it. So you'll get that, and it's all in your written thing. And then I asked Dr. House to give me the two most significant from each era. That also will be in your written uh, in your written account that you get. I want to talk about the Great Schism. So the church went along for about a 1,000 years, and then something called the Great Schism happened. And I don't want to offend anyone in here, please, who's a Catholic. I know uh, some of you all are Roman Catholic in your backgrounds, and some of you still go to the Roman Catholic Church. But this was the big split between the Eastern Church and the Western Church. And this is how it looked. The Eastern Church, of course, is on the right, and the west side would be the Roman Catholic Church, okay? So just a little church history here that you would have gotten in seminary. As the church developed, the eastern side spoke Greek. All of our writings, and we're going to look at a writing in a minute, in the actual Greek. I'm going to show, you're going to have a Greek lesson today because it's a theological lesson, okay? And uh, they spoke Greek. The Roman church spoke Latin, and, of course, Latin then disintegrated into different languages like some of us speak. Rita speaks French. That's from Latin. Uh, some of us are Spanish speakers in here. That also is just modern-day Latin. So the West had Latin, and the Greek had, uh, had Greek, Greece. Over time, the Bishop of Rome, in the beginning, he, wasn't, he didn't have any more authority over anybody else that was out there. But he began, because Rome had been a political power, the Bishop of Rome, as the Roman Empire disintegrated, the church was the only structure left. Y'all follow me? So the bishops that were there in Rome began to exercise some of the things that were state functions. Let's say that's when they were baptizing kids as infants, and that was to get them registered like citizens of the residual Roman Empire. Y'all follow me? And in the East, they and, and the West also had some things like statues. The East never did. Because they looked on, and I'm, when I say the East, the Orthodox Greek-speaking church doesn't have statues even till today. They've got what are called icons. They look like statues, but they're flat. So they had an argument over statuaries and over icons, and also over the date of Resurrection Sunday. As you all know, that's what I call Easter Sunday, about when it was. So sometimes you'll see on your calendar, Greek Orthodox Sunday, have any of you, or Easter, have any of you all seen that? They differed on that, but the differences were greater than that. It was a lot of political differences, language differences. So the church at that point split. And the Pope ended up being head over the Roman church, which I prefer to call it, because Catholic just means universal in the Greek language. That's what it means. And so it was the Eastern church and the Western church. Now, uh, Pastor Ken Kenneth, who's coming here the week after Easter, sent me an article that shows there were always during all of that time a group of simple believers who practiced baptism with a believer's baptism. I mean, even in 300 A.D. I don't know about all that. I haven't, I haven't researched it. He said they live simple Christian lives, and they practiced a believer's baptism today, much like we are doing right here, right now at Union Grove, okay? Let's take a look at the revelation of the church in Matthew 16. Do you all remember when... Jesus took Peter and the disciples, he took Peter and two of the disciples, John and James, thank you to my bride, he remembers this, took them to Caesarea Philippi, and I should have put a picture up here. Caesarea Philippi is in the north of Israel, and there's some gates there where the pagans worshipped the god Pan, 
and they would make sacrifices, throw them into this cave where this, these gates were, because there's a river that is born under that mountain, and it comes out, and they would look at how the blood was in the water, and that's how they would tell the future. Okay, they would do divination. They were standing there when Jesus said what he said. Have y'all ever wondered what Jesus said, that the gates of hell will not prevail? Have y'all ever seen that in the Bible? He says, I tell you, Simon Peter, what you said is true. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. He was looking at those gates of paganism. He was saying, all the satanic forces that are in the world will never overcome the church. So I'm showing you this to show you, number one, the institution of the church, and number two, that it will not be uh, taken away or destroyed until the time of the rapture. That's where we're going with this. So after he had said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, that's when, when Jesus said, Peter, who do men say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? He says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That confession is the thing upon which Jesus said, I will build my church. It wasn't Peter. And let me show that to you. Here's my text to prove it. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And look what, can y'all read that from where you are? It says Petros. He says, you're Petros. Jesus was making a play on words. And he said, and Petros, it is upon this Petra. He's not saying on you, Peter. He's saying on Petra, this rock, this confession that you've just made, this thing that you've just said that I am the Messiah, that I am son of the living God, this Petra, he said, I will build my church. It's on the belief. It's always been a test of belief when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus as our Savior. And the gates of hell, I just told you what those were. There they were physically looking at them. But in reality, Jesus was saying, Satan and all of his minions will not be able to win the battle against this church. All right? We can all amen. Woohoo! Amen. I like that. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What are the keys? The keys are the gospel. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So that just tells you about the establishment of the church. Nothing really significant in terms of end times happened until Israel became a nation. It was quiet for 2,000 years, guys, until some of us were here in 1948. I came about eight years later. Okay, but it, the world had been silent regarding end times until this point, in great part. That you, some of y'all will come afterwards and argue, oh, no, something happened in 1850. I'm just saying, guys, this is the biggie, okay? In 1948, May the 14th, you can put Jews returning to, to Israel on your Google, and I just took a screenshot. There are hundreds and hundreds of pictures because the Jews, this is a direct answer to the prophecies that were made that said this, it will come to pass in that day. What day? In that day. This day. It will come to pass in this day that the Lord will set his hand a second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left. Those that are left, where will they come from? Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush. Where's Cush? Where's Cush? It's Africa. Who in here knows there were Jews down in Africa? About 10 people. Guys, it was filled with Jews until they were moved out in our lifetime. Do you all realize that? The Israelis emptied out 747 jets and filled them up with people. In Operation Moses, and then look what he says. I'm getting it. I'm so excited. From Elam and Shiner, 
Hamath and the islands of the sea, he will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah. What does Judah mean? It's where we get the word Jew. Will bring the outcast of Israel and gather the dispersed Jews from the four corners of the earth. Congregation, we are seeing that in our lifetime. If that doesn't get you excited, in that day, we are in that day, Tim. We're in that day. Guys, our great-grandparents dreamed of this day. We're in that day. With that day is going to come some mixed things, some tough times, some persecution. Do you see the church thinning out? I do. Do you, do you see people running for the exit door? I do. I mean, people that are sincere Christ followers and Christ believers, I see them running. There it is. The Jews make Aliyah. Operation Moses happened in 84. Solomon, 1991. They emptied these things out, and they hold the world record for putting people in a 747. Packed them in, went down, and DNA tested them, Sherry, and said, these are Jews. They are our people, and they brought them back to Israel exactly in answer to the prophecy of Isaiah 11 that we just read. Guys, if this doesn't make your hair stand on end and make the top of your head hot, then you're not reading what I'm reading. Get with it. I mean, this is incredible, okay? This alone is reason to realize and understand that God is in control of the universe. He is in control of the world. And the events that go on continue to go on, going on last week, where Ukrainian Jews are making their aliyah now, getting out of the Ukraine. Have any of you heard about this? I have not. You never hear about any of this on the news. God is quietly doing his purposes. God is working his purposes out as time draws nearer and nearer. It's happening as we sit here in Union Grove and it feels like nothing's happening. And I'm telling y'all, everything's happening. God is lining up things for the end of times. And we are sitting, at least three of us, on the front row hearing about it. Doreen, Sandy, and Tim are getting the full load of the blessing today. In that day, and we are in that day, the rapture is imminent. It, I, I taught on this last week that says this, basically, for the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, my mom and my dad and all those who have died in the Lord, and they will be raised, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall be with the Lord. Therefore, what's the purpose of studying prophecy? Comfort one another with these words. Don't try to put it over on your neighbor how much more you know and have the inside track on this and this happening. That is not why prophecy exists. It exists so we can comfort one another with these words. When we can say God has a plan, he's working his plan out. Yes, we see what's going on in, with Russia and the Ukraine, and it, and it can terrify some. It doesn't terrify me at all because I know God's in control, all right? And I know that the world's not going to go up in flames right now in a nuclear holocaust. How do I know that? Because we're still here, and not only that, in the book of Daniel, we don't see that. What's going to come and destroy the earth is going to be that stone, all right, that stone which will come down and strike the kingdoms of man. That's the next thing on the timetable, guys. That's all that's left if you look at Daniel's statue, and we are living in that day. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will be with him always. I am comforted 
to know that I'm going to spend eternity with many of you and with the Lord. My desire is I'll spend it with all of you. But I don't know that. Only God knows the intents of the heart. Amen? Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I'm zipping through these today because I've got more slides today than I've ever shown you all on a Sunday. Actually, 22, if you want to count them. Usually, I, I, I limit it to 15, but I just couldn't stop. I'm going to give you five reasons why I support a pre-tribulation rapture. That means that the rapture will happen before the tribulation. I didn't believe this way until six years ago. And I came to believe this through the teaching of Dr. David Jeremiah. And we've talked about David Jeremiah. That's why I gift, we, we gift as a church, David Jeremiah study Bibles. We give them when someone's baptized. People come and say, Pastor, can I have a Bible that I can understand? And I give those to you all. And I, as you all have seen over the years, I, I prefer to teach from the New King James Version for my own personal reasons. Uh, I like it. It's familiar to me. It's what I kind of grew up with sort of as I studied the King James. But anyway, let's talk about these five reasons. First off, nowhere in Scripture does God bring forth his wrath on his faithful people. You cannot find me one instance in Scripture, Clayton, where God comes and judges the righteous. He will not judge the righteous. He never has. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us, Mark. Yes, much more than having now been justified by his blood. That's what justifies us. Look, we shall be saved from the what? The wrath through him. We're not subject to God's wrath. We're saved from God's wrath. Secondly, for they themselves, this is out of 1 Thessalonians, declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, how you turned to God from idols to serve living and true God, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from what wrath? What wrath? No, what does it say? The wrath to come. When's the wrath to come, Michael? The tribulation. We will be saved, guys, from the wrath to come. You should be relieved now. You, you thought, oh, no, I'm going to have to live through the, they're going to come in and kill me and make me worship the Antichrist. No, they're not, because if you're in the Lord and you're secure, you're gone, okay? Secondly, this, I think, convinced me more than anything. The book of Revelation, which Dr. House has written extensively about, we'll talk about on Wednesday, discusses all of the events that will happen in that time of wrath. Guess what, though? They're all after the first three chapters. The first three chapters mention the church. Did you know throughout all the rest of it, all of those chapters of wrath, the church is never mentioned one more time? Don't y'all think that if the church were going to be here, that God would have left us instructions on what to do while we're here? Maybe I think too much like a lawyer. That doesn't make any sense, and God is a God of order and logic. Hence, we can deduce that the church will not be here. So it talks about the church in the first three chapters. It's silent after that. That's my point number two this morning. Three, the pre-trib viewpoint is the only viewpoint that distinct, distinguishes Israel from the church. I say Israel is Israel, and the church is the church. And when we get into Daniel next week, we're going to see that Daniel 9.8 doesn't make any sense if you muddle the church with Israel. It doesn't make a bit of sense because what's being addressed is what will happen to the Jews and the Jewish people. And so uh, the text tells us that, 
that God has separate plans for each, okay? He talks about Daniel's people, the Jews, and he says, and their holy city, that's Jerusalem, all right? The tribulation is a time of purging and restoration for Israel and Jerusalem, not for the church. The, rev- the tribulation, guys, has a purpose. It's judgment on the unbelieving. That's what it is. Dr. David, Mer- J- David Jeremiah distinguishes unbelieving Gentiles and the Jews. I see the unbelieving everybody. Okay, that is who's going to be subject to the wrath of God. Fourthly, the pre-tribulation viewpoint is the only view that has a, a rapture that's imminent where you think it's going to be right now. Anybody know a good definition of imminent? It's kind of more than immediately. Uh, I have in the sermon that you'll get later this afternoon, it says once, once a baby is due, when you've passed the due date, the birth is imminent. It's right then and there. And the early church looked to Jesus' coming as imminent. They go, you know, why hadn't he come yet? Where is he? It's been two years, okay? We're going, it's been 2,000. Guys, it's going to be in God's timing because we know that with God there's no time. And really, 2,000 years is not very long. He said, oh, yeah, it is. I think of my grandmother that lived to be 100. It's only 20 lives of grandma stacked up. It's just not that long ago. 400 years is nothing, Sherry. It's just nothing. You know that it is or it is not. I'm not sure. It isn't. Yeah, exactly. It's quick. So that is why Paul wrote that passage we read earlier in the, to the church in Thessaloniki. The eminence of Christ's return is not congruent. That means it doesn't fit with all of the other viewpoints on the timing of the rapture. Are you all beginning to be, maybe think about this and convinced a little bit? This is one of Dr. House's uh, graphics. I love this. He says, the restrainer is the church and the Holy Spirit. Okay, it will be removed before Antichrist is revealed. Some people come up and go, are we going to see the Antichrist? You're going to be gone before the Antichrist is revealed. You might suspect who might be the Antichrist, but I see Christians out there going, Barack Obama's the Antichrist. They're not going to know. If they read the Bible, they're never going to know because Antichrist will not be revealed till the restrainer's gone. Am I getting this right, doctor? And who is the restrainer? The Holy Spirit. And where does the Holy Spirit live? In us, okay? So we're going to be gone before uh, the, the man of the lawless one. It says, the restrainer in 2 Thessalonians 2.6 refers to the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit at work to the body of Christ. That's us here in the current church age. And you know, here I'm going to read it, what restrains him now so that in his time he may be revealed for the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Why is it at work? It's always been at work. All right, that's Satan at work in the world. Only he who now restrains, that's the Holy Spirit, masculine, will do so until he is taken out of the way. So the lawless one, Antichrist, cannot be revealed until the Holy Spirit is taken away. The tribulation cannot begin until the church is removed. That's five points. Are you all enjoying this? I'm, I'm, I'm glad you are. It's really good stuff. And then we have this in Revelation 3, not in Revelation 20 or 17, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will keep you from that hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. Testing means to try them, to purge them, okay, to work them over. It's a testing. Now, so what should we do while we wait? What do we do while we wait? I think we do what we're doing, okay? 
We don't need to run out and do something. In the Lord. And, and you follow the Holy Spirit. That's what we should be doing. I'm going to give you, I think it's seven pointers here. Yeah. First off, live in the light as his first coming. That means walk as a child of the light, okay? Don't be in darkness. First get saved. And then walk according to the Spirit and be the salt and light of the earth, okay? Be that. Be that out among the nations, among your neighborhood, with your neighbors next door. So be the light. Live the light. Be discerning. Don't be deceived. So many believers are deceived. They believe every kind of gobbledygook because somebody out somewhere said it, okay? I could go out and put all kinds of nonsense on the Internet, and I guess people would need to believe me because I'm on the Internet. Okay, so don't be deceived. Check everything that you hear, including what I preach, against the Word of God. Okay? Well, it's kind of something like that. I mean, just don't, don't listen to lies. False witness is lies. That's right. Three, accept the uncertainties of life. It's okay. Life is uncertain. We get problems. I have problems in my feet. You know, we wonder why God doesn't heal these things. Uh you know, for the first time ever, I'm beginning to think, well, I wonder how many years I can go. I'm going to go here as long as God wants me to go, right? But you begin to wonder because the infirmities of life begin to come upon you. They're okay. Watch and be alert. Part of the beauty, and you younger people won't understand this. I'm going to say you don't understand it if you're not over 60. You sort of understand it, brother. Is As we get older, and I've been talking with some of you about this, there's a mourning that goes on. As we age, there's a mourning that at least it's happened to me and Sandy and Michael and Sherry and Bill and Cassandra and Linda. And we talk about this. And Devin, Devin's too young yet. But a mourning that goes on because we see that we're aging and we're aging rapidly. Okay. That's okay. And we comfort one another with these words saying, that's all right. God has a purpose for us right where we are, right where we are, brother, right in the condition that we are. Doug can't even speak anymore because of his disease, and he's here playing the bass to the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Give him a hand, somebody. You know, and why does Doug do that for the glory? He does it because it's what God has laid in his heart. That's, how, that's living in the light. Then don't lose hope. Paul tells Timothy over and over, or Titus, the young pastor, don't lose hope. Because he says, people are going to say you're too young. Then they're going to say you're too old. Then they're going to say you're too short. They're going to say you're too tall. You can't relate to people. You're too abrasive. I've heard that before. Or you're too soft. Some of y'all have said, man, you're just so abrasive. Sorry, guys. I try not to be. I'm, I, don't you say that. <laughs> I don't want to have to exercise church discipline right now. And <laughs> encourage one another. That's what we're about. Let's encourage one another. It's easy to pick on one another. You know, encourage one another. We... We're in this together, and we're waiting on the Lord to come back together. We have gathered together today to encourage one another, not to tear each other apart. And Liz, live as if today were the day. Live every day for eternity. Do the significant. Don't waste a bunch of time on nonsense. I've got some friends that chase such crazy dreams. I mean, they're so insane, and I tell them simple things like, well, Take the garbage out today. I'm talking about believers who come to me and tell me they've got this idea in their mind about what God wants them to do. And you know what God wants you to do is just to live faithfully today. You, think, you know, they go, I want to be the next Billy Graham. Well, why? 
because you want to be the next Billy Graham. That's what it sounded like to me. You know, it, it could be that the only Billy Grahaming you ever do is just with the person across the kitchen table from you. For real. As, as Brother Larry often says, our first ministries to each other, those in your home, in your household. This is our extended household right here. You know, you owe a ministry to one another and me and me to you. And then last but not least, keep on doing the work Jesus left for you to do. And I give you scripture references and all of this. They're in your written sermon, and you will have that this afternoon as soon as precious Randy uploads everything to Anchor. So my question this morning is, Don, I'm not picking on you, Don, but I just looked up and you were looking at me. Why are you gazing up into heaven, Parker? Devin, I'm going to pick on them. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When did the Holy Spirit come upon you? Does this say you're going to get the power or you got the power? You've got the power. And you will be witnesses. That means you're going to see all kinds of stuff in Jerusalem, Judea, and Jamaria, and to the end of the earth. And then the author, Luke, tells us that the disciples were just staring up into heaven. That's why I have the picture I have on the bulletin. It's Jesus up there. They were just staring up into heaven, you know. And he said to them, why are you just standing there and gazing into heaven? <laughs> Is that not funny? That's Jewish humor to me. Why are you looking at that? You're just staring into the heaven. So the point is, Jesus is coming back. Get busy. Does this mean busyness like busyness that has no purpose? No. It means it red hot but resting. Red hot resting in the Lord saying, Lord, strike me now. The iron's hot. Yeah, Ken. Be anxious for nothing. Don't even be anxious about being busy for God. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and keep your hearts in Christ Jesus. I can't think of any better way to end this sermon than that. Wow. <laughs>